to More Living with Jim Brogan, your source of information for living the best years of your life, your way. For more than a decade, host Jim Brogan and his expert guests have come together each week to share important news and advice that can impact the lives and well-being of those who are retired and those nearing retirement. Learn about issues like health and fitness, financial planning, social security benefits, investment advice, and more. And now, here's the host of More Living, Jim Brogan. Good morning, East Tennessee, and welcome to More Living with Jim Brogan, where it's all about living the best years of your life, your way. You're listening to News Talk 98.7 WOKI. And, you know, retirement planning... It's kind of like watching a Polaroid picture develop. You know those old Polaroid instant cameras? They were the epitome of high-tech back in the day. You know, before that, if, for those of you that remember, you had to wait a week or so to get your pictures developed. And then all of a sudden, here it was in the palm of your hand within mere seconds. Who cared if the photo wasn't the finest quality? The moment was captured and instantly available to be viewed. One of the most memorable parts of the Polaroid experience that I remember as a child was waiting for the picture to develop. You know, it was like some sort of magic as images slowly appeared out of nowhere. There were arguments over who got to hold the yet undeveloped pictures and disagreements on the best technique to speed up the picture revealing process. It was also common to take a break every few seconds to see what part of the photo had revealed itself. So, you know, planning for retirement, to me, is a lot like a giant, slow-developing Polaroid picture. The main difference is that the picture we're waiting for to develop is dynamic and changes as it reveals itself. There are new laws and changes in our own lives that mean a retirement plan must also change. It must continue to evolve. You know, at the end of 2019, you were probably busy with the holidays, and you may not have had a time to go over the new all the new legislation. We had the SECURE Act, which affects retirement accounts, and we also had the Taxpayer Certainty and Disaster Relief, Disaster Tax Relief Act. And these may contain changes that will affect your taxes, retirement savings, and your estate plan. So things need to continue to evolve, and a retirement plan has to be ready to change and be fluid it's much like a Polaroid, Polaroid that just continues to evolve. And then eventually when it's fully developed and it becomes crisp and clear and you've got a plan that you can work with, uh, you can be successful in retirement. So today in this show, we're going to talk about important social security changes for 2020. It is always evolving. Uh, we're going to talk about getting ready for tax season, the things you might need to be aware of, and what you should consider if you're uh, looking at maybe buying a second home, some things to consider there. But first, we're going to talk about the ta- the SECURE Act and required minimum distributions. The SECURE Act is not going to solve your required minimum distribution issue. It's going to give us a little more flexibility, but it's not going to solve the issue. So the SECURE Act changed the age at which RMDs start from age 70 and a half to age 72. And this could help with, the you know, if you have a substantial retirement account, you've got another year or two before you have to start taking money out 
of your retirement account, IRA, 401k, 403b, uh, 457, any kind of a retirement account other than a Roth. You never have to take Roth out of or, or a minimum distribution out of your Roth. Now, when it goes to your kids, that all changes, and it's changed under the new law as well. We'll get to that here in just a minute. But the biggest thing is these required minimum distributions. And I often talk about this sweet spot between retirement age and what is now age 72. Because 72, you have to take these distributions from your retirement accounts. It is forced. And it's about a 4% distribution. Not exactly, but that's a, it's really close. So you can do some quick math. If you have a million dollars in retirement accounts, you're going to have to take about $40,000 in year one. And, you know, if you've got three million, you're going to have to take 120,000. If you've got 500,000, you'll have to take about 20,000. And most, if not all of that distribution is going to be taxed as ordinary income. And it's all ordinary income. It doesn't matter how the gains were generated, even if they're long-term capital gains. When they come out on your tax of your retirement account, it's ordinary income. And so that's why at age 72 now, used to be 70 and a half, the IRS requires you to start doing this. Because what you should realize is when you look at your retirement account balances, you do not own all that money. The IRS owns a share. You know, you've never paid the income tax on most, if not all, of that money. So it's like you have a great big IOU to the IRS. Well, 72 now, under the new law, is the age at which that IOU starts coming due. They want you to take that money out. It is reported as a taxable distribution. And then every year, that percentage is going to go up a little bit. They actually use a divisor. It's not a specific percentage. But like at 72, it's 25 uh, 0.7. So it's just a little less than 4% in year one. Then the next year, it's a little more than 4%. Um, so, but what, what's got, what's happened now is now we've got an extra year or two that you have this sweet spot where you can really do some great tax planning because you don't have this forced taxable distribution. So if you're smart about how you draw your income in retirement, you could have a situation where you could be in a low tax environment. And that, when you have low taxable income, it really gives you an opportunity to make hay. So as an example, if you're, you know, you're, if you're a joint filer, you can go up to almost $105,000 of total taxable income before you hit anything more than a 12% tax bracket for ordinary income. And for long-term capital gains, it's 0% tax, which is an incredible opportunity. So if you're, you know, and the reason I say 104, 105,000 is because then you have the deduction off of that. Okay. And you can, you're, so, but, but bottom line, you can have taxable income of up to about 104, 105,000. So if you have taxable income of 70, 80,000, you know, before you do your deduction, you can then, do some real planning where you could maybe do Roth conversions and you're in a 12% tax bracket or do long-term capital gains and you're in a 0% tax bracket. It's just an incredible opportunity. Very few people that I meet with in my office and that I talk with that come to my class, 
that I teach at the university, the adult education, the University of Tennessee and at Pellissippi State. I'm going to be honest, very few people address this tax planning opportunity. And it's an incredible opportunity, especially with long-term gains. You know, and if you have charitable deduct, what if you have a, a, a charitable deduction carry forward? You know, I have a client that gave a piece of property and they had this long, this large charitable deduction carry forward. They, they got to use it up within six years total. And we want to create some taxable income because it'll, 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 it'll a lot of it will be offset by deduction. Or what if you have a capital loss carry forward? You know, you sold a piece of property and you lost eighty or $100,000 or, or a stock went under. You had idle air years ago here in this town, and you lost, you know, $100,000. Those loss carry forwards on, on capital losses can be carried forward indefinitely, but they can only be used to offset long-term capital gains. You cannot offset ordinary income or short-term gains. So tax planning is a tremendous opportunity, especially before 72. And so with this new rule that raised the minimum distribution age from 70 and a half to 72, it's really a boon for an extra year or two for many people I meet with in my office to do tax planning, all right? Now, then the other thing I want to mention is you can make a deductible IRA contribution to your IRA after age 70 and a half now. There's no age limitation under the new law on making an IRA contribution as long as you're otherwise eligible, meaning you have you have income that's earned income from work, um, and you're subject to, you know, there's income guidelines and all that kind of stuff, um, you know, and whether you're in an employer plan and all that. But it, the, the bottom line is they remove the age restriction. So if you're 74 and you're working and you want to make an IRA contribution, as long as you're otherwise eligible, you can do it. Now, it's kind of weird because you still have a minimum distribution, so you still have to take out a minimum. You can also, though, put money in, but that's only if you have taxable income from work or from self-employment or something like that. Now, then the other issue, and I'm not going to dive into it in great depth today, but it's how you pass on your retirement accounts to your heirs. And this is a real issue because retirement accounts, it used to be like when I inherit my mom and dad's retirement accounts, uh, my portion, I could take distributions from their retirement accounts over my remaining life expectancy. So I'm 50 years old. So let's say they passed away. My dad's already passed away. Let's say my mom passed away. And then the next year, I'd be 51. I'd have to start taking a distribution. My life expectancy at that point is 33 years. So I'd have to take out under the old law about one-thirty-third of the account. That's about 3%. I can take more if I want, but I have to take the 3%. The next year, I have to divide, take 132nd, then 131st. Well, we can't do that anymore except for rare exceptions other than a spouse. And we now have to take it if you have named individual beneficiaries. They have to take it over 10 years. Unless it's a spouse. Now, there's some other things like a minor child of the deceased, not a grandchild or niece or nephew, but a minor child can take minimum distributions based on life expectancy, but then once they're 18 in Tennessee or 21 in some other states, then it starts a 10-year distribution. So this creates a lot of issues I don't have time to get into today. The biggest issues deal with, have you named all individuals, or if you have named a trust, that creates a huge amount of complications based on things like 
you know, is it a conduit trust or an accumulation trust? In other words, do the distributions go through the trust to the beneficiary or do they accumulate in the trust? What are the rules going to be? Do you have charities involved? There's a lot of complications. Now, I have a blog that I published this week. If you go to my website at broganfinancial.com, click on blog. My blog, and then click on the main blog there. It's on the SECURE Act and how it will affect your retirement. And I've got a Q&A there. I would love for you to go there and read my Q&A. I can't get into tremendous details in a short blog, but it's about a three or four minute read. And it'll answer a lot of your big questions. Uh, now, if you've named a trust as beneficiary, you need a lot more planning. You need to get with estate planning professionals. Uh, you could also come to my class. I'll talk about some of that at my upcoming class at UT this coming Thursday and then into the spring. But uh, go to my website. Again, it's broganfinancial.com. Click on blog, and then you'll see it's the lead blog of uh, right there at the top of the page. You can click on it, and you can read my blog it's a Q&A of the main things of how the SECURE Act will affect your retirement. It's for people at retirement or near retirement. I don't, in that blog, get into the younger things for younger workers getting easier access to 401Ks and things like that. Tell you what, we're going to get to our uh, our first break. And when we come back, important Social Security changes for 2020, including a commitment to better client customer service for you and me as taxpayers. Don't go away as you listen to More Living with Jim Brogan, only on News Talk 98.7 WOKI. Carry on my wayward son, there'll be peace when you are done. Lay your weary head to rest, don't you cry no more. listening to more living with jim brogan during the week jim is a financial advisor an author and speaker with an mba from the university of tennessee who specializes in helping people in or near retirement plan for the next phase of their lives you can reach brogan financial during the week at 865-862-6800 or on the web at broganfinancial.com and now Here's Senior Market Advisor Magazine's 2011 National Advisor of the Year and host of More Living, Jim Brogan. Thanks for tuning in this morning to More Living right here on News Talk 98.7 WOKI. I'm your host, Jim Brogan, and we are talking in this segment about what to expect from Social Security this year in 2020. What is new and how will it impact you? So, a couple things. First... Uh, the benefit went up this year, 1.6%. So that's a cost of living adjustment. It's averaged between 1 and 1.5, about 1.2, 1 1.3% in the last 11 years. Now, prior to that, it averaged in the twos, about double. Uh, In the future, I would count on about 1 to 1.5. We project 1.2 when we run projections on Retirement income for our clients that we project the 1.2. We don't know. That's the thing with projections. You have to make assumptions, but uh, that's what we use. But it's 1.6% this year. So the average retiree or the average beneficiary of Social Security, their benefit went up $24 per month this year in 2020. 
Uh, the average is now $1,503. $1,503 is the average Social Security benefit. Now, if you're eligible for the maximum Social Security benefit, it went to up to $3,011 is what the maximum went to. Um, so that's, that'd be your full retirement age benefit. Now, if you delay past full retirement age, then it is higher than that. But that is the current full retirement age maximum. Now, then increased deductions for Medicare premiums will offset some of that cost of living adjustment. The standard Part B premium for outpatient services, which most people have and what you should have direct deducted directly from your Social Security benefit, went up $9.10 to just under $145 a month. That is a 6.7% increase in the base Medicare premium. So the average beneficiary went up $24, but then $9 roughly was offset by the Medicare increase. So that's just kind of how, and then of course, if you're up above $174,000 of earnings for a married couple, $87,000 for a single then you're subject to Medicare surcharges. This is the first year. This is a big deal, by the way. 2020 is the first year that your Medicare surcharges, where they charge you extra premium if you make above a certain threshold in income, which is what I just read to you. This is the first year it's actually adjusted upward on that first tier. They're now going to be adjusting up for cost of living, which is a great change for you because it'll give you more opportunity to manage that Medicare premium. So, see, your your income directly affects how much you pay in Medicare. That's got to be managed when you get up to 65 years old. Now, if, what if you're working and you retire at 65 and your income is then goes down? Well, they look at, you know, for 2020, they're looking at your income for 2018, your tax return, that's what they're looking at. That was filed with the IRS for 2018. So what if you retired in December? I mean, in 2020, you're not going to make as much as 2018. Well, because that is considered a life-changing event, retiring, you can actually have Social Security adjust your Medicare premium based on your expected income in 2020. And you can only do that if there's a life-changing event. So if you sold a piece of property and had a $100,000 capital gain and it put you over those thresholds, that's you cannot change that. But if it's retirement, there's some rules you have to follow, but you can have it adjusted. You have a legal right to have them adjust your Medicare premium based on a life-changing event. Retirement is a life-changing event. You just have to document and attest to what your income is going to be and you have to have proof from your employer. There's some hoops you have to jump through. But you definitely need to do that. Now, a couple of other things. The uh, cap for Social Security withholdings went up to $137,700. So the first $137,700 that you make, you are hit with Social Security withholding in your payroll tax, which is 7.65%. So that increase brings it up. If you hit that cap, you're contributing just over $10,500 to Social Security. If you're self-employed, you're having to pay 15.3% up to that cap, and that ends up being 21000 in FICA taxes. So that's a big thing to know about. Um, so, and then the other big change and the big announcement that you, that is that 
the Social Security Administration, things hopefully are going to get a little bit better with their service. The agency is hiring 1,100 new employees to provide better service, especially over the phone. Now, I want to be clear here. Social Security workers are prohibited by the law to give you advice. They can explain how a benefit works. They cannot advise you or counsel you on what to do. You know, like when should you draw Social Security? They are forbidden by law. But there have been repeated cuts to the Social Security Administration's budget over the last decade, and that has led to a huge backlog of people waiting to appeal hearings on things like disability. And Congress cut Social Security's budget almost 11% between 2010 and 2019. This is going to change, start to change in 2020. Social Security reopened their field offices nationwide on January the 8th. Some of the offices are ones that had previously been closed. And the agency will hire 1,100 new employees to handle their national call-in number, which, by the way, is one 800 772 one two one three. Again, that's one eight hundred seven seven two one two one three. Now, there has been no mention of taking its steps to address the Social Security disability backlog. Um, but the agency has cut the wait time by more than three months on the disability, and they hope to eliminate the hearings backlog by twenty twenty one. If you've appealed a disability uh, decision by Social Security. And uh, in the past, contacting Social Security through its toll-free number has been very difficult. 15% of callers into the Social Security office in 2018 heard a busy signal. 15%, not to mention the hold times. So hopefully, things are going to get better in terms of their overall service if you're waiting to appeal a disability claim. But even just basic questions you know, about benefit structures, or if you're having to appeal something that was a mistake, then uh, hopefully it's all going to get better. Bottom line is your Social Security election, when you are going to draw benefits and how you plan in spousal benefit election as well as potential widow, widower benefits down the road, how you understand that even if you're divorced, as long as you were married at least 10 years, you have the same access to spousal and widow benefits as if you were still married. Um, in some cases, even better benefits. So understanding all of those benefits and how that affects your Social Security election becomes critical. So I wanted to update you today on the rules and how the benefits are going up, the, the taxes are going up if you're still working and you're hitting the cap and all of those things so that you're informed. Now, um, I do want, you know, Social Security election is one of the elements that I talk about in income planning in my class, Financial Survival for Retirement, that's held at the University of Tennessee. And the next class is starting this Thursday, January the 30th. It's a two-part class, so it's on Thursdays, January 30th and February 6th. It's at the Downtown UT Conference Center Free parking right at Patty Corner to cross at that Walnut Street garage, I think it is. Free parking. It's up on the fourth floor. It's beautiful. They've renovated up there. Um, I would love to see you there. I think we're getting close to being full. So if you're thinking about attending, I'd love to see you there. You can go to financialsurvivalforretirement.com to find out more information. You can download a syllabus. 
Uh, you can also click to register, or you can call the University of Tennessee at 865-974-0150, or go to financialsurvivalforretirement.com. Again, that's this Thursday, June, January 30th, and then the following Thursday, February 6th, two two-hour sessions in that class. I cover the SECURE Act, its updates. I cover the, the, the Social Security election, a whole bunch of other things. There's seven main topics in there, including the most overlooked area in retirement planning, in my view, which is how you structure income, it, dependable increasing income in retirement. Uh, so tax planning, all of those things. So I'd love to see you there. If you can't go there, I'll be at Pellissippi State in Hardin Valley on March the 3rd and 10th. To get my full class schedule for the spring, you can go to uh, broganfinancial.com and click on classes at the top. I would love to see you there. When we come back, getting ready for tax season. Some new rules, some additional benefits that were extended to us that you may not be aware of with credits and deductions. Don't go away as you listen to More Living with Jim Brogan on News Talk 98.7 WOKI. weekly radio show, television news appearances, and adult education classes taught at the University of Tennessee and Pellissippi State Community College. Jim taps into his extensive knowledge and experience to address issues important to living your best retirement. Join Jim every Saturday morning at 9 a.m. here on Newstalk 98.7 WOKI and visit him online at broganfinancial.com. And now, here's the host of More Living, Jim Brogan. This is More Living with Jim Brogan, where it's all about living the best years of your life your way. As you listen to News Talk 98.7 WOKI. And you know what? It's time to get ready for tax season. And uh, so a couple of deadlines and things you may need to be aware of and where are some opportunities and some challenges in 2020 as you prepare your 2019 tax return. Well, first, uh, what are the deadlines? So you can file a tax return as soon as January the 27th. That's the earliest the IRS will accept a 2019 tax return. So that's t- that's Monday. You can actually file. However, if you're due a refund, you cannot get a refund until February 15th. There are new rules that delay the payout of refunds because of concerns about fraud and identity theft. All right, so, you know, the, 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 the earned income tax credit, the additional tax credit, you know, if you're waiting on a refund because of the way all that shakes out, uh, you'll, you'll need to wait. But you can file as early as 20, the 27th. Filing electronically can certainly simplify the process. The IRS encourages taxpayers to file electronically. It reduces the chance of math error. Um, if you have a professional doing your taxes, they will likely include e-filing in their cost of service. And then pick your ideal time to file. Don't rush to file if you don't have to. Uh, you need to file by the 15th. If you cannot file by the 15th, you can file an extension. So plan a time where you were filed. You don't have to file right away. Uh, now, then, there are four things. I want to cover a few things here that are taxable that you may not realize are taxable because I don't want you to get a few years down the road and find out you have a penalty. 
So sir, first off, there are certain types of college scholarships that can be taxable, and also gambling winnings are taxable. So scholarships, let's talk about those two things. Scholarships for tuition fees and books are not taxable. However, scholarships for room and board and travel and other expenses can be taxed. Now, if they are, you should be getting a W, you know, a 1099 from the school that gave you that scholarship. But if you're not sure, just ask your tax professional. And then gambling winnings, lotteries, horse races, casinos, sports betting, these are taxed even if you do not get a W-2 G form. It's a W-2-G. Now, if you, you know, if you won over five or ten thousand dollars in winnings at a casino, depending on the casino, they're going to give you this W-2-G. But, you know, the, the, the code says you don't have to get a W-2 to be required to, to report income. You know, if you, if you get the income, you're supposed to report it. Now then, gifts from your employer can be taxed. You could owe tax on a gift given to you to recognize a job well done or to persuade you to reject a competitor's offer. Now, the Supreme Court has ruled that gifts from employers can be excluded from the employee's income if it is made out of, quote, detached and disinterested generosity. You know, like almost like they're giving you a gift as a friend. But gifts that reward you or promote the company do not fall in that category. So there's a gray area there, but gifts from your employer most likely are going to be taxed. And then finally, canceled debt can be taxed. If you have a credit card that says you negotiate with them and they say you don't have to pay off your full balance and they forgive part of that, the amount you owed is generally treated as taxable income. This this includes credit cards, car loans, mortgages, or any other kind of debt, the, except potentially student loans, and there is a, a category of qualified farm indebtedness for farms. But um, the student loan would be the most, uh, uh, that's the one that, that, that it really jumps out as an exception. But if it's credit cards, car loans, mortgage, that income, that forgiveness of that debt more than likely needs to be uh, reported. If you're not sure, just ask your tax professional. And then finally, let's talk about some tax breaks that actually were extended under the new law. So at the end of 2019, President Trump signed the Taxpayer Certainty and Disaster Tax Relief Act of 2019, and it resurrects and or and or extends certain tax breaks. So if we go back and look at the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act, it allowed for Americans to deduct their medical expenses in 2017 and 2018 that exceed seven and a half percent of adjusted gross income. But in 2019, that threshold would be for income that, or excuse me, for medical expenses only that exceed 10% of your adjusted gross income. Now it will stay at 7.5% all the way through not only 2019, but also 2020. So we got two extra years there. So if you have big medical deductions, you know, if you're in a nursing home or assisted, I mean, there's a lot of things that could really pile up your medical deductions. That could real that extra two and a half percent by going from anything over ten percent of adjusted gross income to anything under seven and a half could be pretty valuable. Also, they extended the mortgage insurance premium write off 
through not only 2019, but 2020. So prior to the new legislation that was just signed, the deduction for qualified mortgage insurance on your mortgage loan to acquire, construct, or improve a first or second residence was only available for premiums paid through 2017. Now it's extended through 2020. So it not only included 2019, it also included 2018. Now, the dedu- this deduction is for mortgage insurance premiums for qualifying policies that were issued after December 31 of 06. Typically, if you're paying mortgage insurance, it's usually going to be on a more recent home loan. Um, so you can take advantage of these tax breaks. And they were retroactive into 2018 even, which you've already filed your 2018 return. So if you want to go back to 2018, you could file an amended return. So you should ask your tax preparer if it makes sense, you know, what would it yield for you? Because you're going to pay legal fee or accounting fee, you know, professional fees to somebody to file that amended return. So, you know, what type of a difference is that likely to make? So these are changes into 2020 that you need to be aware of. Now, here's the big takeaway. It's important to be following changes in the tax code. Because it leads to opportunities and it leads to challenges. And let's talk about tax planning for a minute. Tax planning is looking at how you structure everything you do and how it might affect your taxes both now and into the future. So see what we're doing, what we start doing this time of year all the way through April 15th for the 2019 tax return, that's tax preparation. If you sold something in November and generated a capital gain, that horse is out of the barn. If you drew income from your IRA in 2019 and it's a taxable distribution and you did that instead of drawing it from your non-IRA assets, nothing you can do. You've already gotten your 1099. You can't get that horse back in the barn. Tax planning is much more powerful than tax preparation. It's looking to the future And it's saying, how much tax might I pay now and how much tax might I pay tomorrow? Tax planning is exponentially more powerful than tax preparation. So, you know, when you're looking at your planning, tax planning is a critical part of a financial plan. And in retirement, you have more control over your income taxes than at any other time in your life. Because you determine where you draw your income from and whether it's taxed or not. You decide how to invest your money and whether those gains are taxed or not. And how they're taxed. Interest, dividends, capital gains. You determine that. Now, taxes should not drive your investment decisions. They're not the number one factor, but they are a component of your decision. They shouldn't drive it, but they're an important consideration. But tax planning should be done, if you haven't already done tax planning for 2020 and you're retired, you need to be doing tax, or actually everybody, even if you're a worker, you need to be doing tax planning right now. You should be doing tax planning in the fall for both end of year tax planning and tax planning going into the following year. So ideally, you know, if you haven't done tax planning for 2020, do it now. And then when you get to this fall, October, November, do your year-end tax planning for 2020 and then also do your tax planning for 2021. And your tax planning becomes a, a – I'll tell you how important I think this is. 
the coming decade, the decade of the 20s, okay, which we're now in, right? We're in 2020. I think this is going to be a challenging investment decade. I mean, I think there's going to be good years in the in the investments, in, in the markets. I think there will be ch- bad years, just like any other decade. But when you get to the end of the decade, I don't think we're going to see real robust in the stock mar- growth in the stock market, either U.S. markets or foreign. And by the way, that's not unusual at all to have a decade of mediocre, you know, three, four, five, six percent growth in the stock market annualized over that full 10 years. So I think it's going to be a challenge to get a robust return in investments. That means reducing your tax bill is a way to, to increase your success, your net returns, right? If you can, you know, it's not how much you make, it's how much you get to keep. So it's your, your earnings minus your tax. So if you can reduce, if your earnings aren't going to be as robust, but you can reduce the tax side, you can bolster your net returns. And I cannot tell you how important I think that is. Your, your best opportunities are between retirement age and age 72, but even into your 70s and 80s in the rest of your life, for most, many or and even most retirees, there are tremendous, at least the ones I meet with, there are tremendous tax planning opportunities. And then tax planning is also staying on top of these laws that change so you take advantage of those laws and get every potential tax savings that you possibly can. Okay? Now, we're going to get to our last break. When we come back, important tips that you should consider before buying a second home. Don't go away. This is More Living here on News Talk 98.7 WOKI. This ain't a song for the broken hearted. for listening to more living with jim brogan if you miss any of today's show or want to listen to it again visit broganfinancial.com where you can access the podcast and other educational materials to help you in your journey through retirement and now here's senior market advisor magazine's 2011 national advisor of the year and host of more living jim brogan i hope you're having a nice saturday morning as you listen to News Talk 98.7 WOKI, I'm Jim Brogan. You're listening to More Living. And in this last segment, what should you be considering in potentially buying a second home? You know, are you looking maybe for a second residence in retirement? There are some things to consider. Uh, and then I have five tips. So one is location. You know, there's an old saying that you shouldn't retire where you like to vacation. And that saying, I think, goes for a second home as well. You know, there are a lot of places that are great to travel to for vacation, but they're not great places to actually live several months out of the year, like the Everglades, for example. Um, That's probably a a little bit of an extreme example, but some places are great to visit, but not be there for, you know, three, four months out of the year. Uh, So you, you also need to be thinking about, but location's everything, right? So where is it you really want to be for your second home? It may be you want to be in warm weather. But think about proximity to airports and hospitals. I mean, you need access to those things, especially medical care. And is it somewhere where you could develop a social network? I mean, if you're going to be there 
for three or four months out of the year, maybe half the year, it needs to be a place where you can develop a social network and do not underestimate that. You know, there was a book I read years ago called, I believe it was called The Next Phase, and it was about a couple that were just, they were ready to retire, and they were like, work, 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 work. They were just stressed beyond comprehension, and they were so excited about retirement, and they wanted to relax, which is natural, right? Oh, my gosh, I just want to not be bothered. And they retired, and they bought a place about 40 minutes out in the country outside of Knoxville, west here. I think it was in Roan County. And they were out in the middle of nowhere. No social network close by. And, man, they loved it for the first few weeks. And then after a month, they started getting a little bored. After two or three months, they were like, oh, my gosh, we have made a huge mistake. Because they, once things from that stress settled down, they realized they're so, we're all social people. Now, some people would love living, you know, on a farm out 30 minutes from the nearest neighbor. But you just need to be thinking about the social connection when you're deciding maybe to have a second home somewhere. Then you need to be thinking, should you buy or rent? You know, there are financial implications of buying a second home. Uh, you could rent before you buy if you decide you want to buy a home in the area, but then you might have to move again and set up shop in a set. In a, you know, you could do a long-term lease. You could lease a house for, you know, three years, but then if you decide you want to stay there, then you're probably going to move into another house for your second home. Um, keep in mind that the state and local tax deduction limit is capped at 10000 in total. That's not 10000 per residence. It's a 10000 state and local tax deduction cap, period. You, so, uh, and, and here are some additional tips. There's legal, t- there's legal things you need to be considering in terms of uh, estate laws and the difference among the states. You know, like Florida, for example, is a common law state in terms of property ownership. But Arizona, Texas, and California are community property states. So there's different rules of how you own property jointly in those states. You know, if you're married and want to own it jointly, you need to be aware of how those things affect your planning and the way you own things. Also, what's going to be your state of domicile? That could affect your taxes and your homestead rules. So, and then there's all the estate planning. Do you, you know, and how do you make sure you don't have to probate in multiple states? Because properties are probated in the state that they're located. So there's estate and legal planning issues. Then there's tax issues. You know, especially when you're thinking about buying or renting, uh, then there's insurance issues. Some states have peculiar insurance ex- issues. Florida, for example, can be a tricky place to obtain homeowner's insurance, and it may necessitate having flood insurance. Hurricanes in the low country will do that. So then there's health insurance issues. What about your network of doctors? There's cash flow issues. You know, should you maybe consider renting out a second home when you're not there? But what are the headaches that go along with that? If you hire property management, what does that eat out of that income and is it worth it? So there's a lot of stuff that comes into play. I know a lot of times people, especially early on in retirement or getting ready to retire, you're kind of trapped between these competing emotions. You know, I want to get it away from all or or I want to get away from it all. And then also there's no place like home and they kind of compete And before making a plunge into having two residences, it would be wise to examine the unique aspects of your situation, and then you can determine if snowbirding or whatever it is is appropriate for you. 
And then be sure to consider transportation, your pet ownership. How will your pets fall in? Security, maintenance, family, social networks. There's a lot of other things that come into play. There's a great article on this in Forbes magazine. If you would like a copy of that, we were happy to email you that. If you'll email us at info at broganfinancial.com, I-N-F-O at broganfinancial.com. We'll be glad to send you an email with a link to this article. And uh, I think it's a great article to kind of walk you through the pros and cons uh, of, of second home ownership and the things you need to be asking yourself and thinking about. Today we've discussed your wealth because greater wealth provides for more living so you can live the best years of your life your way. I urge you, consider attending one of my classes, two-part adult education, where I cover everything I possibly can that most people need to know about retirement. Uh, two two-hour sessions. The next one is this Thursday is the, fir- is the first session, January 30th and then February 6th, the next two Thursdays at the University of Tennessee. Financial Survival for Retirement It's downtown. Free parking at their conference center, free parking in the Walnut Street Garage. You can get more information at financialsurvivalforretirement.com. You can download a syllabus. You can click to register. You can also call the University of Tennessee at 865 865- Nine seven four zero one fifty. I would love to see you there. If you want to look at my up, other upcoming classes, go to broganfinancial.com and click on classes. Thank you, Colin, helping run the board. Thank you, Jill, for helping produce the show. You've been listening to More Living with Jim Brogan, only on News Talk 98.7 WOKI. The views expressed by Jim Brogan and his guests are not that of Cumulus Media. Any discussion of financial, legal, and tax planning strategies is not intended to be individualized advice and is general in nature. Always consult with your advisor for advice specific to your needs. This program's content does not represent a recommendation of any particular security, strategy, or investment by Jim Brogan or Brogan Financial Incorporated.